Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. stand for the reading of the word. We're going to go to Revelation 3, 7 through 13. I said this in the first service. I now have to like tilt my Bible, so I think I need like readers or something now. (laughs) All right, here we go. Revelation 3, 7 through 13. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David, What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have a little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to become to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Why don't you stay standing as we pray. Lord, thank you for today. We could gather here today, Lord. I just believe and and ask right now in faith that you would speak words of encouragement and strength to my friends, to everybody that's here, that's joining us, that's listening, Lord. Would Would you refresh them? Would you... Strengthen them. Would you just breathe life into them, I pray, in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, would you breathe life into the Seahawks as well and help them win today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead, have a seat. (laughs) Traitor. I have a special announcement. Special announcement. (laughs) Okay, so this this is the big one here, guys. Uh, Super excited to share this with you. We are going to do a, every year we do a special Christmas offering. This year we're doing a Christmas miracle offering. And we have a big God-sized goal for this. And I want to share with you where we're going to be distributing that. And so you can pray about how you can be a part of this miracle that was going to really take all of us for the holiday season. But uh, the first one is that every year during Christmas, we give part of that offering to benevolence. And benevolence is something that we use for people within our church community. And uh, inevitably, every year, people within our community find themselves in a place where they need, they need help, we can serve, we can help, we, we can financially take care of something for them. And it's always a blessing to me that I can say, hey, people have given in our church so I can help you right now. I love that. And so... This always helps fund our benevolence ministry. And so that's one of the things that we're giving to. The other one is we're giving to a remodel of this main building. This main building uh, needs some love. It needs some upkeep. There are things that are falling apart. Again, this building is, has seen better days. And we're so blessed by this house that God has given us and this property's location. Uh, but we want to upgrade and, and just take care of some stuff. We want to be good stewards of this building. And there's things that are falling apart. Like I said, the kids' ministry has mismatched carpet, and we need to make sure the kids' rooms look good. They're sharp. They're excellent. We want to, we're looking at doing the whole flooring of this building, chair covers. Uh, we have a design we're going to put on the wall in the lobby that will look like this. When you walk into the lobby, this is what it would look like. And so we got some major things we're looking at doing, and this is going to be a significant chunk of what we're giving to for the Christmas miracle offering. And the third thing we're giving to is helping kids have education in the country of Myanmar. 
And if you know about Myanmar and what's going on there, that's just, it's craziness. It is an upheaval. And there was a military coup that took place in the, in, during the pandemic, and all the government officials that were elected, they got thrown in prison. It's chaos, guys, chaos. And only about 10% of kids in that country are experiencing any form of education now, almost two years later. And so we have a missionary to Myanmar that we have supported for years. He came up to me a month ago, told me the whole story. He says, could you guys help? And I said, yes, we can. And so he'll be here with us next Sunday. You'll hear more about Myanmar, what's going on there. But that's the other thing we're going to help fund through this Miracle Christmas offering. And here's the big God-sized goal. We're praying and believing for $37,000 for this. And so I want you to pray right now. Pray about how God would want you to be a part of this miracle. We'll talk more about the details and have some publication stuff for you, in the, you know, starting next Sunday. We'll talk more about it in the coming weeks. But begin praying right now. And we want to receive that offering on Sunday, December 12th, just three weeks from today. So pray about what God would want you to give in this miracle offering. We're excited about all of these things that we can give to. And I just, uh, just believe in for God to do great things through this. All right, so hey, let's dive into the message today, talking about the church in Philadelphia. Before we do that, let me just remind us of how we ended last week. We looked at the church in Sardis. They had a reputation for being alive. They thought they were alive. Everyone else thought they were alive. Jesus is like, no, you're not. I'm not fooled by this. Your reputation is not your reality. You're dead. They were a dead church. And so we talked about like, man, we don't want to be dead followers of Jesus, right? We don't want to have a dead church. And there's two things that I really want to encourage us to practice so that we can make sure that our faith in Jesus is alive. And so number one, we talked about obey what the Spirit speaks to you. And number two, share your faith. In Jesus. So I remind us of this again so that I can ask, how's that going? How'd it go this week? Were you able to do that? And as your pastor, I want to keep you accountable. I want to push you forward. I want to encourage you. I want to nudge you because I want you to be growing in your relationship with Jesus. I want you to have a faith that is alive and growing. And these are two very important practices in our life that I want to encourage you to do. And so, again, today, let's be people who listen to the Spirit and obey and share our faith. And we're going to talk about this today. And so what we're going to learn from the church in Philadelphia is they were a faithful church, even though they were going through lots of stuff. They had excuses that they could have said, okay, these are obstacles, and so we're just struggling, and we're not going to do much. But the message today is don't let your obstacles get in the way of your obedience. Don't let your obstacles get in the way of your obedience. So as we get to the sixth church of the seven in Revelation. We have a map here to show you where all these different cities were, you know, and so you can see on the map, there's that arrow. That's where the island of Patmos was. John was exiled there. He's arrested, sent there. He's having this revelation, an apocalypse of Jesus, from Jesus. And this is some specific messages to seven churches in these seven cities. And so we've been traveling through Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, up north, coming back down. So we're now in Philadelphia, getting ready to, to end in Laodicea next week. Now, Philadelphia is an interesting city. Back in AD 17, it had a major earthquake. And it just destroyed, devastated the city. And then it said that for the next 20 years, it suffered other earthquakes and aftershocks. And so what happened is they tried to rebuild the city. All these other earthquakes kept happening for 20 years. And it would knock buildings down again. Buildings would crack again. And so it was like this very unstable place for them to live. But people lived there because it was along a major trade route in that day and age. And it was a beautiful place. And it also had fertile soil where they could grow things. And they had incredible vineyards there. Massive amounts of vineyards. And these vineyards were so good, they rivaled the vineyards of Italy. That's how good these were. And so that's Philadelphia, and just in a quick nutshell, there's more we could say about that, but those basically apply to what we're looking at today in regards to Philadelphia. It sounds like the Bay Area and Napa Valley, right? Beautiful, but earthquakes and vineyards, right? So that's, that's Philadelphia right there. That's, that's where we're at. Now, Philadelphia is also the second church that Jesus doesn't have a word of correction to. Only two churches Jesus does not correct. Smyrna and Philadelphia. He just commends them for their faithfulness. He commends them for enduring. And then he has just some words of encouragement. I think this is going to encourage us today. So let me go ahead and just uh, put my teaching hat back on. Let's walk through this. I think God's going to speak to us through these verses here. And, and many of you just have been loving 
as we walk through these verses like this. Verse 7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. Remember, we've talked about the angel. It uh, literally means the messenger, which we actually believe it is the pastor. So that's who this is being written to is the messenger of that church, the pastor of that church. And so what that means is I'm an angel. That's what my grandma called me all my years and all of her other grandkids and great-grandkids. But hey, it's great. These are the words of him who is the holy and true who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. So Jesus is the holy one and he is the true one. Again, guys, what we're seeing right here is how glorious and powerful and amazing and beautiful Jesus is. Revelation points us to Jesus and shows us who he is, how powerful he is, and what he wants to do in our lives. And I just pray that we would just continue to catch a glimpse, catch a vision of who Jesus is and his power and his majesty. Maybe read through that chapter one description that John gives us of who Jesus is. Because again, this beginning of the message is a reference back to that of who Jesus is and that glorious vision or apocalypse that John is having of Jesus. He is the Holy One, which means he's whole, he's complete. There is no impurity in him. He is unique and set apart from everything else in the entire universe. He is not fake or made up. Man did not make Jesus or did not make him God. In fact, he made man. And so he is not some false idol that people would worship. He is the OG, the original God. That's who Jesus is. He is holy and he is true. There's no other one but him. And I pray that we would catch that about Jesus again today. This is where we're seeing the deity of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a man who walked on the earth. He was also God. This is important theology for us. He was fully man, yet he was fully God. And we see that so powerfully in the book of Revelation that Jesus wasn't just a man. He's the Holy One. He is the true one. And he also has authority to open doors and close doors because he's got the keys. The key of David, as it talks about right there. And that's kind of a cool reference to a story in Isaiah 22, which we won't take the time to go to today, but you can go back and read Isaiah 22. And and so in the end of that story, Eliakim was given the keys of authority. And so Eliakim represented Jesus and the foreshadowing of Jesus, who was going to have the authority, who was going to have the keys. And so Jesus is saying, I got the keys, I got the authority to open doors and close doors. And so what that means is this. When you see opening of doors in the New Testament, it's a reference to opening doors of ministry. Paul said this many times. God opened a door for us to minister. God opened a door for the gospel in this region. And so this is a reference to opening the door of ministry for the church in Philadelphia so they can reach more people for the kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, I want to do this. I want to empower you. I want you to know that I have the power to save people, to change people's lives. And I'm opening doors of ministry for you to see that happen. And so as we look at that, we're also reminded that Jesus has the authority and the power, but he's also delegated that to us. We have the the keys as well. We can walk in the authority of Jesus. And Jesus said he was going to do this, by the way. You go to Matthew 16, and there's... One important verse that we'll look at, Matthew 16, verse 19. Jesus said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That speaks of power, power to our prayers, to our words, and authority that we have. And so Jesus has the authority, and he's saying, I'm going to give you the authority because that's what keys represent. And so then in In the end, when Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven, Matthew 28 records Jesus saying, all authority has been given to me. Hey, I died on the cross, but then I conquered death. I went, I got the keys to death. I have the keys to death and Hades and the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is go make disciples. In a sense, he's saying, I'm giving you authority. You have the authority that Jesus has given you. As a follower of Jesus, I'm commissioning you and encouraging you to walk in your God-given authority because you got the keys. A few weeks ago, my family was invited to be in a commercial. This was kind of this funny little thing we got to do. It was like this random like friend of a friend 
recommended us, just kind of fell into our lap and we thought, how can we say no to doing this? And they're looking for a family apparently that had kids our age, just two kids, a son who was 16, a daughter who was 13. And so as we had the conversations with them, they ended up realizing that our 16-year-old son is giant and he's got a really deep voice, deeper than his father. And so we're like, we need a 16-year-old who actually looks like a 16-year-old. I'm like, okay, that's a 16-year-old, okay? So that's what a 16-year-old is like, is like when they get big like that. So my son got booted out of the commercial, unfortunately. <laughs> and so they gave us an adopted son for this commercial. We still did it. <laughs> and they gave us a, this kid who kind of looks like he could be related to us, but the problem was he was 13. I'm like, I thought you were looking for a 16-year-old. Like, my son looks like when this kid looks like a 13-year-old because he is a 13-year-old. And why that's funny is because there was a scene in the commercial where as the dad, I give him the keys to the car. And so I'm literally doing this, like hand the keys to him, I put my arm around him, we walk to the car, he gets over the driver's seat, it's kind of like this, like he's gonna get in the car and he's gonna drive the car away. It's just hilarious because like he's 13. Like why am I giving the keys to a 13 year old? (laughs) So it's kind of weird how that ended up, but uh, those keys to a vehicle represent power and authority, right? Like you have the power now to take this vehicle and go with it. Now when you turn 16 and you got the keys, remember how significant that was? That was like, yeah, come on. I got the power, I got the freedom. That's what it was, right, for many of us. Like, if we didn't have our own car, for many of us, I have the freedom now with mom or dad's car, depending on the case, and now I can go and I can, you know, but there's power, there's authority, there's freedom with those keys. And so Jesus is coming back at the end of the first century, and he's reminding his followers, don't forget, I got the keys. I have all authority over heaven and earth, and I've delegated that to you. So that's just a good reminder for us. You have authority. Walk in your authority. You don't need to shrink down and and be afraid of anything because of the authority that Christ has given to you. Your prayers are powerful and effective because of that, because of the keys. You have the keys. You can stand up against demonic forces, against the spiritual principalities that Ephesians 6 talks about because of the keys that Jesus has given you. You can see people's lives set free spiritually, chains broken spiritually because of the keys that you have. By the way, the first person you experience is yourself. You get free from all that stuff. Then you can help other people. It's pretty amazing. You have the keys. You have the authority, the power to proclaim the gospel wherever you go. You have the authority to see people's lives changed by the love of Jesus as they say no to their life of sin and turn to Jesus for his life and his hope and the the purposes and the plans that he has for their life. You and I have the power and the ability to see those things, to experience those things because he's given us the keys. Do not forget that, friends. You have authority. Not because of you, and you haven't even earned it. It's because Jesus has given it to you. Walk in authority as you pray, as you proclaim who God is. Walk in authority. You receiving this here? It's very important. So Jesus is saying, I'm gonna open doors for you guys for ministry in Philadelphia. I want you to reach more people. I want the kingdom to grow. I'd love for the church in Philadelphia to grow. And that's why Jesus is is speaking this to them. And so it's important that we have that same mindset. Like we believe with God that he wants his kingdom to grow and he wants to use us to be a part of that. And he wants his church to grow. He wants this church to grow. That is his heart, his longing, because he longs for more people to be following him and to find life uh, in him now and forevermore. And the amazing thing is he just uses us to do that. It's so incredible. So this December, we're having fun with our series at the movies, Christmas at the movies. That's what we're calling it, right? So we're going to have lots of fun with this. And the prayer is that w- this will be an evangelistic season for us where we're sharing our faith. We're inviting people to church. Hey, come and join us. We're talking about Christmas movies at church. And we're going to talk about the gospel as it relates to these different Christmas movies. So we're going to have a lot of fun with this. But every first-time guest in December gets a free movie ticket. They get a free ticket to Spider-Man on opening weekend of Spider-Man, which is the third weekend of December. And some of you have heard this. Many of you maybe haven't, but we have an entire theater rented out across the street at Harkins for ourselves. We're going to take over that one theater. And so in December... As first-time guests come, we're not going to give them a Dutch Bros gift card. We're going to give them a free movie ticket to join us for that, that, that show there on the third Sunday. It's opening weekend of Spider-Man. 
like I said. So this is a little extra fun slash motivation for us to just reach out to friends and coworkers and families and neighbors. Hey, come to my church. We're talking about Christmas movies, and we're, and we're you know, you can get a free movie ticket uh, with this, but here's what we're really believing for, salvations. That's what we're really believing for, as we share the gospel, as it relates to the stories that are displayed in these different movies, and all it takes is one moment in the presence of Jesus for someone's life to be forever changed. And so we're gonna, we were praying for salvations, but as we pray and we do this, we're praying, God, open doors of ministry for us. And my conversations with people, open doors of ministry. By the way, everyone's invited to join us for that Spider-Man movie. You just have to buy a ticket. First-time guests get a free one, okay? There's a link in your digital program right now if you want to get your tickets. Do it after church. Don't do it now, actually. Uh, wait till after. Uh, but you can, you can buy your own ticket because we're going to take that. Old, but there's only limited tickets. That's why I mentioned that. All right, so we're really believing for a season where we can just kind of lean into reaching out to our friends and the people around us and praying that we'll see salvations because of all the, the fun and the different things that we're going to do around the holidays. Hey, guys. Everyone agrees with this. The world's crazy right now. Our country is, in, is just, it's all over the place. There's a lack of stability. There's a lack of peace. People are open to coming to church right now, especially during the holidays and Christmas time. They're open because they're in this place. A lot of people are in this place where, like, I could get in touch with my spiritual self. If that means going to church, yeah, that sounds good. I get a free movie ticket. Okay, that sounds good. I was going to go to Spider-Man. Anyway, go for free. Sounds great. But people are into, right now, going to a place where they can experience some of that peace. And they, they long for that, and they don't even know who the Prince of Peace is, who the giver of peace is. And so they can experience that as we, as we uh, invite them and get them in here. So... Uh, I just believe that God's going to use our conversations and open doors for us, for ministry. Remember, Jesus has the power and the authority. He's given it to you. Together with him, we can see the kingdom grow. We can see lives change. And so I'm, we're just looking forward to, to that season of Christmas and Christmas at the movies and got some fun stuff happening. Maybe you find yourself in a place where like, okay, Tyrone, I, I've tried inviting people. I've, it doesn't work. I get rejected. I'm just, I'm, it's discouraging. Or maybe just life's been beating you up and you just feel like, I'm just tired. I'm weary. I'm exhausted. Maybe you're discouraged. And if that's you, I got good news for you is that God wants to meet you right where you're at. He's there for you right where you're at. And that's what I love about this message from Jesus here is he sees where the church of Philadelphia is. And you're gonna find, if you feel that way right now, you're in good company because so was the church in Philadelphia. Let's look at this next verse here. Jesus says, go back to Revelation 3 here. Jesus says, I know your deeds, which is Jesus saying, I know everything about your life. I know what's going on. I see you. I see you. You're not alone. And he says, see, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Oh, man, I love that passage right there. It seems that Philadelphia, the church in Philadelphia was a smaller church. They weren't the church that was hosting all the big conferences. No articles weren't being written about them. Uh, they, were, they found themselves in a very weak place because of lots of different factors within their culture and as followers of Jesus. So they were very, very weak. And Jesus says, I see you. I know what you're going through. You are weak. But then he commends them. He's like, but thankfully, you've been faithful. You have not denied me. You've not turned your back on me. When you could, you have been faithful. And so Jesus, in a sense, is saying, I'm gonna meet you right where you're at. I'm gonna strengthen you. So... They've kept the word. They hadn't denied Jesus' name. Uh, they were faithful to him. And here's what we know. God blesses faithfulness. As you and I walk faithfully, even when we feel like we can't in our own strength, God loves to say, I'll show you that you can in my strength. You just be faithful. Keep trusting to me. Keep moving forward. I love Zechariah 4, verse 6. It's not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Some of us need to hold on to that verse at different times in our life. 
where we don't even feel like we have any strength. And so God is saying it doesn't even really matter what strength you have right now. It's really about my spirit alive and at work within you. Paul said, this is what God spoke to me in my moment of need. He says, my, God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. God loves to meet us right there in our place of weakness and strengthen us and empower us. God loves to use weak people like us. He loves to use those that are overlooked, those that are, feel forgotten about. He loves to use those that never get picked for anything. God looks at those people and says, I'm with you. I see you. I want to do great things in your life. So I love this message. My grace is all you need. His grace is all you need. For God's power works best in weakness. And then Paul goes on to say this. So he says, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses, he says, and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's it right there. When you're weak, that's okay because God is strong. As you lean on him, you allow him to work in you, you will be strong, not because of you, but because of God, who is alive and at work within you by his spirit. God is your strength. So it's so important that we stay faithful to God, even in these moments we feel weak. Just keep putting one foot forward. Walk in obedience. Trust God no matter what you go through. You know, weakness, weariness, discouragement, that can be one of those Reasons why we're just like, I'm just, I'm tired. I don't, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And we kind of just kind of start drifting away from the Lord. It can be an excuse. It can be an obstacle. Don't let obstacles in your life keep you from your obedience to Jesus. Don't let that be an obstacle. Keep walking in obedience to him. All right, so let's move on to the next verse and see what Jesus says here in verse 9. He says, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Some interesting words here. This is the second time Jesus says the words synagogue of Satan. I won't go there. My mind wandered to something. <laughs> Very interesting, but maybe we'll talk about it later. Okay, sorry, focus. Synagogue of, of Satan. It, all, it happens to all of you, I know. Some of you just got back on track with me because your mind was there, okay? So, right? <laughs> Synagogue of Satan. This, this might seem like a very anti-Semitic statement, like this anti-Jewish. But remember, like, Jesus was a Jew, and so was the author of this book, the writer of this book, John. He was also a Jew. So it's not anti-Semitic, but Jesus is being very clearly anti-sin here, saying those who don't follow me, don't trust in me, who have denied me as the Messiah, as the Jewish Messiah. These are Jewish people who awaited a Jewish Messiah. I came and they rejected me. And so he's, it's very anti-sin, those who aren't following him kind of a, a, a statement. And so this is one of those reasons why we as Christians and followers of Jesus can be uh, labeled as very narrow-minded and even bigoted because we follow and practice the teachings of Jesus. And Jesus says, for John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus is saying, I want everybody to have eternal life. I want everybody to make it to heaven. That's why I went through the cross. So here's the deal. You got to believe in me and trust in me. It is all about Jesus. And so we say, well, there's only one path to heaven. Well, that's not something we made up. Man would not make up that type of religion. Man would be like, hey, everybody. It's all, hey, you do your best, awesome, come on in, everyone gets a trophy. Kind of one of those things. We like those types of things. That's why man-made religions uh, can feel good and are attractive, especially the afterlife of different religions like um, Islam and, and Mormonism. It's uh, an amazing afterlife for men. If you understand and study that what, the, what heaven is like for them, it like makes, and for women, it's like, kind of like, okay, so that sounds really good for the men, but maybe not for the women, but I guess that's what it is. Um, but if man was going to make up a religion, then we would be very inclusive of everything. But Jesus is like, here's the way it is. I created everything. I, I created you. And because of that, he, remember, he's the one, holy, one, true God. So he says, it comes through me. Trust in me. 
Why? Because I know best. I created everything. I know what you need. I know you long to worship something. I know you long for the afterlife. So come to me. Trust in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. And so because of that belief that the Christians had back in the first century, the Jews finally like, got rid of the Christians. For a while, the Christians would still go to the synagogue, and they would worship the Lord and be a part of their Jewish people, but they would still declare Jesus as Lord. They were following Jesus. Then after a while, the Jews were like, forget this. Like, you guys need to stop talking about Jesus. We don't believe in Jesus. He wasn't the Messiah. And they kick him out of the synagogue. And then they take their names off the registry, which is a bad thing for Christians because the Roman Empire accepted the Jewish religion. And if your name was on the, the registry in the synagogue, then you were protected. You were fine. But now all their names are not on the registry anymore. And now they're, as Christians, they've been ousted. And so now they're going to face persecution from the Roman Empire because of that. And so they're, be, they're facing persecution, not just from the Roman Empire, but from their fellow Jews who don't believe in Jesus. They're going through persecution just like all the Christians are in this time period. Persecution like most of us have never, ever experienced. It's a difficult time. And so Jesus is saying, I see you. I know what you're going through. You stayed faithful. And those people, and he calls it like it is, it's the synagogue of Satan because they're not following me uh, he's like, they're eventually going to realize that I am real. They're going to come and bow before you and, and, and understand that it was because I loved you. So that's why Jesus says, just come to me. I'm the way. I'm the truth. It's because he loves us. He's like, his path is the way of love because he is love. And so the Christians in Philadelphia didn't let this persecution cause them to deny Jesus. They stayed faithful and loyal to Jesus. And so Jesus is commending them. And he says, eventually, uh, this is going to turn around and these people will bow down. Now, what that all means and how that all played out, we don't know exactly. But here's what we do know. Is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to protect you no matter what. They'll eventually realize that I'm real, that I care in this because I loved you. That's why you were serving me. I am the one holy God and the true God. They'll eventually see it, but it's not now. But these Christians are staying faithful Again, the message for us is this. Don't let your obstacles get in the way of your obedience. You face persecution. You go through stuff in life. It's, it's hard. Obey. Keep walking in faithfulness no matter what you go through. And unbelief wants us to kind of walk away. Unbelief wants us to really focus in on the obstacles. And the obstacles become huge and big, and they become excuses, and they become bigger than God. But faith looks at obstacles as opportunities. This is an opportunity for me to really, really grow. So more on that in just a, a few moments here. Let's look at verse 10. Jesus goes on to say in verse 10, Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon you or come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. So again, we see the, that their faithfulness is going to cause Jesus to protect them. And what's he going to protect them from? This hour of trial. And it seems like this is something that's not going to just affect them in Philadelphia, but it's going to affect the whole world. The reason it seems that way is because that's what it says. Everyone in the whole world is going to go through this. And so this seems to be a reference to two things. The first one, it really seems to be a reference to the rapture of the church before the great tribulation. So before the great tribulation happens in the end, and we'll look at that further later on in, in our series in Revelation. Uh, before that, it appears that Jesus is going to protect his faithful and pull them away from that. It's the rapture. He's gonna, we're going to go up and be with Jesus forever in, in heaven with him before the hour of trial or the great tribulation. So this promise is not just a promise for the church in Philadelphia. It's for all the believers who happen to find themselves in the day and age when that happens, when the rapture of the church takes place. So as kind of a little side note to that, it connects, but it's a little bit of a side note. There's this school of thought that says these seven churches in Revelation represent the seven different eras of the church age in history. It's kind of an interesting thought. You look at it you're like, oh, I could... I could kind of see that, where the first church was Ephesus, 
And so that represents the apostolic age. And so the apostles, who, the original ones who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus, they started the church. And when they all died out, it went into the age of Smyrna. The church in Smyrna represents all the persecution. And then that was the week we talked about the persecuted church and people who were martyred for their faith. And so the Roman Empire just persecuted the church. It had to go underground. And so that's that age and, then, and so forth. You just kind of keep going on. And you get to this church, Philadelphia, and that would be the age of today where the church is being faithful and going to be saved and delivered by the rapture before that tribulation takes place. And so it's an interesting school of thought. And this is like the only verse, and the, the following two are the only times in Scripture where I could say, you could potentially believe in all of that based upon these Scriptures. But I struggle with that for several reasons. One, it really does seem to be speculation. It's very cool and creative and interesting. It seems to be very speculative. Number two, it doesn't seem to have the support of any other scripture anywhere else. Revelation doesn't say this is what all these churches mean and all this kind of stuff. This represents the future age. And the third reason, I think it really represents and comes from a Western culture framework, in my view. Like, we interpret everything through who we are right now. And especially in America, like the American church, we want to find, okay, where's, where's America in the scripture? And so how does this relate, you know, what does this mean for the American church? And that's good because we want to know what it means to us, but the Bible wasn't written to the American church. It was written to the church, the whole church, worldwide, throughout all the ages. And so we got to be careful how we interpret all of this kind of stuff. And so I mean, I, it could be, but I don't believe it is, the, the different ages, especially when you think about things like all of our brothers and sisters in the Middle East that are facing major persecution right now. They'll, they'll say like, okay, so this is not the age of persecution. Like that was done in the Smyrna church. Like the people in North Korea who, are, you know, if they get caught with one piece page of the Bible, will be thrown to prison and could lose their life. So they're like, I don't know, it kind of feels like the age of persecution to me. That's what they would say. So it, just, it doesn't really line up with all history. It lines up with our history, which we like, because we're comfortable and we're just being faithful until Jesus protects us from when things get really bad. And in our culture, we, because America, we like comfort. We don't like to go through bad stuff. And so it's like, oh, yeah, Jesus is just going to rescue us all because this, you know, we're comfortable and we're not going to go through the bad stuff. So uh, uh, enough on that. Uh, so here's the... The point I want to make, I guess I should say the second, the second thing that we can really pull out of this passage is that the church in Philadelphia was going to be protected from some hour of trial that likely the Roman Empire would give to them. We don't know in history what that would have been, what happened, what that means, but here's, I think, the most important thing we can pull out of verse 10. They obeyed Jesus' command to endure patiently. Because of that, Jesus was going to take care of them. I just want to encourage you and I to be people who endure patiently. Endure patiently. And some of us might say, I get the endurance part, but boy, I need help with the patient part. I get that. Endure patiently. God's got you. He's going to take care of you. The church in Philadelphia, they could have disowned Jesus. But Jesus recognized, I know you're weak, but you haven't disowned me. Therefore, I'm going to take care of you. Uh, I, I'm just encouraging you to trust me and walk with me. And they did. And they walked in obedience no matter what they went through. You know, as you read through the teachings of Jesus, and I would encourage you to really look for this, as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels about Jesus, you read through these messages that Jesus gives us in Revelation, you'll see one big theme. There's several themes, but there's one big one that rises up to the top. And it's this theme of obedience. Jesus is longing for us to obey him. And the reason is because he loves us. He knows what's best for us. But walking in obedience is so important. He doesn't want us just to believe in him. He wants us to obey him. He doesn't want us just to spend a few moments with him here and there and a Sunday and time. No, no. He wants us to live a life of worship and obedience where Jesus is the center of our life. Like Jesus is not supposed to be a supplement to our life. He is the center of our life. That is what we're called to do and be as the people 
of Jesus. And so as we follow Jesus, we, we want to obey him. And then what that shows is it shows that we love him. And his response to Jesus' love for us. Come on, let's just stop and think about that right now. Jesus loved you so much that he went to the cross and did something you and I never could do. The perfect died for the imperfect. And I pray that we would never lose sight of the significance of the cross. It was the most important thing that ever took place in human history. It was the cross. You might think it was the day you were born. Yes, that was important. But the most important moment ever in history was the moment Jesus took our place of death, our sin that we committed. We rebelled against God. We're trying to do it on our own, trying to figure this out on our own, on our own strength, our own power, our own way. I can do this. I don't need you. Well, maybe I need you here, God, but then I can do the rest of it without you. And all of that, all that sin of rebelling and rejecting God, he took all of that on the cross. He was perfect, but he did it for us. Paid the penalty of death. So as we believe in him, now, he not just died for us, but he rose from the dead. He conquered death, proven that he is God. Then you and I can experience life and freedom and forgiveness from sin. And, and friends, he did that because he loved us. He loved us so much that he died for us. Please don't ever lose that significance. So he loved us so much, we just want to love him back, right? Love him back. And how we love him back is just walking in obedience. Jesus himself said that. John, John 14, if you love me, Obey my commands. So our love for Jesus it just comes out in, in obedience to him. God has given us a lot, friends. He has given you so many things. You have so many gifts that God has given you. Be thankful. He has blessed you so much. You ever think about this, that our obedience is a gift back to God? You have given me so much, God. As I walk in obedience, this is a gift back to you as I trust you, as I follow you. And sometimes it's difficult to walk in that obedience, but those are the moments that we really learn obedience, right? <laughs> and if we find ourselves in this place where we desire to obey God in certain areas, but not in other areas, in that area I, I don't want to obey Jesus in, that means I love that more than I love Jesus. And so I want to line that up with Jesus. But Jesus is our great example. He's our model. So Hebrews 5 says this, while Jesus was here on earth, Listen to this. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God, even though Jesus was God's son. He learned obedience from the things he suffered. Look at that right there. Jesus himself learned obedience. How? Through suffering. And it goes on to say, in this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who, what? Obey him. So friends, as we go through tough things in life, trials, tribulations, suffering, those are the times where our commitment to Jesus is really revealed. Those are the times that our true colors show. Where are we really at in trusting Jesus and wanting to obey him? It's like, that's like the tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze the tube of toothpaste, toothpaste, what's on the inside comes out. When life squeezes us, what's on the inside comes out. It's our true colors, everything, that's all there. What is that? Is it still a desire, even in our weakness, to obey? I hope so. I hope so. Truth is, anybody can obey Jesus when it's easy. Anybody, that's easy to do it when it's easy. You ever notice that? But when it's hard, then can I walk in faith, trust, and obedience? That's when it really matters. So we're walking obedience, guys. And so don't let any obstacle keep you from walking in obedience in your life to Jesus. Don't find yourself going after other things and chasing after this. Like, Jesus, I want you and I want this. Hey, here's the deal. When we step outside of obeying God to get something, in order to keep that something, we have to stay outside of God. And your calling is to be close to him, to trust him with everything. So let me just let that sit there for a moment. Don't step outside of God to get something because you have to stay outside of God to keep it. All right, let's bring this home here in these last couple of verses. Man, I love Revelation. This book is incredible. There's so much good here for us, guys. Verse 11 
I am coming soon. You ready? People get ready. Jesus is coming. Soon he'll be coming. I don't remember the rest of the song, how it went. <laughs> I am coming soon. And some of us might say, today would be a good day, Lord. I mean, that really resonated with the first service. It's like, yeah, come on today. And my kids are like, no, we're going to Disneyland this week. I, 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 <laughs> you know, so maybe at the end of the week, Jesus, you can come back. Okay, you know. Which is kind of funny for us to say because we get like, you hate to miss out on a family vacation, but like, I'm pretty sure heaven's gonna be way better than anything we could experience in life, even better than Disneyland. As fun and nice and perfect as it is, outside of that noon to three with little kids. I'm pretty sure heaven's gonna be more glorious than anything. So he's coming soon, friends. He's coming soon. They believed it then. Why not believe it all the more today? He is coming soon. Be ready. All right, here we go. Hold on to what you have. Come on, hold on. So that no one will take your crown. Isn't that cool? Like, you got a crown coming your way. Did you know that? As you hold on, as you stay faithful, as you endure patiently, God's got a crown for you. You know, his word talks about how he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God loves to reward. He is a rewarder. Some might say it sounds like bribery. It kind of is kind of bribery. Like if you follow me and trust me, then I'll do this. It kind of is, but it's rewarding is what it is. As we trust him, there is a reward, not just in this life, but in the life to come. He's got a crown for you, friends. Endure patiently. Keep going. Hold on. Hold on. You can do it. Okay, so then let's move on here. Verse 12, Jesus says, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God, and I will also write on him my new name. Whew, lost my breath on that one. That's, there's a lot in there. And we could spend the next you know, 30 minutes really unpacking all of that there. But we won't. But, you know, you go to end of Revelation chapter 20, 21, the imagery, the description of the city, the eternal city coming down from heaven. It's amazing, guys. And so Jesus is saying, hey, this is where it's all going. Just want to remind you. I got you covered. I'm going to take care of you. Endure patiently. Hold on to what you have in the end. I'm going to restore all things the way they should be. And he's given them a specific message there in Philadelphia to something that's going to really encourage them. Because some of this word, as you look at this, you're like, make you pillars in the temple, you'll never have to leave. Like, that's nice, Jesus, but it doesn't really apply to me. And that, you know, might be the case, but it might not be the case. Because for Philadelphia, remember, this is a city ravaged by earthquakes. They lived in instability. They lived with buildings broken, temples even, broken. And so Jesus is wanting to encourage them specifically I see the unstable city and, and the, the, what you've experienced there. I want you to know there's going to be a forever eternal city that will be so stable. You and I will be there forever together. Never will you have to leave. Historians describe that great original earthquake in 17 AD as people just fleeing the city for their life, just running for their life out of their homes, out of, their, out of the temples that were in the city. And a lot of people you know, they would come back in and try to rebuild their homes and all this stuff, and the more earthquakes happened, so they just, a lot of people just ended up living outside the city. And so Jesus is saying to Philadelphia, I see you, and I got an eternal, stable, unshakable city that you and I can live in forever. That's pretty awesome. When you look at it in that terms, you're like, thank you, God. And that's what I love about God. He just wants to meet you right where you're at. He will speak to you what you need to hear, and sometimes what you don't want to hear, but you do need to hear, because he loves you. So every message ends with this. But Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. The Spirit says the churches. On Jesus, he created you, he gave you life, and he gave you two ears physically so that you can hear me right now. But I pray that spiritually ears will be open to hear what the Spirit speaks to you. Because I know that as he speaks to you, that's what you really need to hear. One word from God can change your life, and I pray that he opens your ears to hear what he wants to speak to you right now, today, and in this season of your life. Would you be open to receive that and to listen to that? Hold on, endure, stay faithful. The message to the church in Philadelphia was that. 
They went through persecution. They didn't allow any excuses. They didn't allow their obstacles to hinder their obedience. They stayed true to Jesus. And Jesus was commending them. It was the faithful church. It was the enduring church. I pray that would describe you in your life. I pray that would describe us as a church. Let's be the Philadelphia church. Faithful, enduring. Doesn't mean we root for the 76ers or any of those. Okay, that's not that kind of, okay. Spiritually faithful and enduring to Jesus. I pray that that will be us. And so a few questions for reflection for us today based upon this message to the church in Philadelphia. And they are this. Are we focused on ourselves or are we focused on Jesus and his mission? Number two, are we following Jesus through open doors of ministry in our lives? Number three, are we allowing obstacles to hinder our obedience to Jesus? We've talked about that a lot today. And number four, who is asking, or who is Jesus asking me to share my faith with? Because we want to keep really putting that in front of us because that is so, so important. When we have found the keys, not only to authority spiritually, but to eternal life. Come on, let's share those keys with people. Let's share our faith. So what do you need to respond to? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.